Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast, where as a church, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So if you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend worship experience. We'd love for you to stay connected with us by visiting us at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. Thanks for being with us, and we really hope you enjoy this message. Today, um, let me give you just some uh, background. Typically, when I preach, I preach from sermon series. These are like a collection of talks that span anywhere from two to six weeks, and each series is built on an idea. But and I pray about these months in advance to get ready for you, and it's really cool how it works because sometimes the thing that I would prepare months in advance ends up speaking to exactly where we are in the world current events-wise and exactly where you are in life. But every once in a while, while I'm putting out the sermon series, I like to put in what I call an open Sunday, which is a Sunday where I just I decide what I'm going to preach, honestly, a couple weeks before because I want to share with you what's fresh on my heart. That is, I want to upload what I feel like God has downloaded uh, into me uh, because I go through life just like you go through life. I know it's hard to believe, but your pastor's a human being. And a lot of times I feel like the things that I'm wrestling with, because we live in the same world, we live in the same city, for those who attend Journey Church in Orlando, we might be going through some of the same things. And so you can always find out what your pastor's going through by what he's preaching about, so you know. And, uh, you know, you got to be careful because I always tell our team, I said, listen, if you're going to preach about something, you have to be at least 80% through it. Because sometimes I think we can be guilty of trying to help other people get through things we haven't gotten through ourselves. And so we got to be careful that we've gotten through enough of it that we can help other people. So I just got to be completely honest. I'm about 79% through what I'm preaching today. And it's a little scary for me because I think I'm going to have a level of vulnerability with you that I, I, I try to have my embarrassment for your spiritual maturity. Pretend like I'm the only one with this problem. If you sit there all quiet and we're going to have a good time today as life, and I think you might be walking through it as well. If you have a Bible, we won't turn there on the screen yet, but you can open it to Genesis 27. Genesis 27. Got to give you a quick rundown. There are um, two brothers. They're twins, and they're born, and their names are Jacob and Esau, and they have parents, Isaac and Rebecca, and the parents each have a favorite. Now, We know that's Old Testament. We don't have favorites nowadays. (laughs) All parents know you got your favorite. You would never tell your kid, okay, Vicky's the favorite in our house. Okay, we admit it. We just know it. We accept it. It's understood. Liz is the favorite in her house. We accept it. We don't fight it. We accept it. That's okay. Parents will tell you they love you the same. They do, but, you know, it's all right. That's fine. I'm not mad at all. <laughs> That's not what I'm preaching about. I'm healed. Um, so they got favorites. And it seems like everything is going in Esau's favor because he's the oldest. And historically, the historical cultural context of this time, if you're the older sibling, you get 100% of the inheritance. It's not like, you know, if your parents passed away now, then 50% would get divided between you and your sibling. No, back then, the firstborn really got the majority of the inheritance. So Esau is set up for a big win because he's the oldest. But Rebecca ain't having it because remember, Rebecca's favorite is not Esau. Rebecca's favorite is Jacob. Isaac loves Esau because he's a dad's son. You know, he's athletic. He hunts. 
one's, he's hairy. I don't know why, but that was a big deal back then. He was, he's a man's man. And Isaac loves Esau. Jacob, he's more homely, like he cooks, you know? So his mom like loves him because they cook together, which I don't know why that's not manly. I'm a baker. Let's go. I love, let's just do it. All right. I don't understand to say I'm a baker. I like to bake. Let's just say that. But, uh, but, you know, so they're different types of men and they're finding different types of, uh, you know, favors within their parents. So, so, so Isaac is getting ready to bless Esau, getting ready to give the blessing, which is really interesting because if you read the story earlier, you would have thought that Esau already got that or Jacob already got that from Esau because early on, and we won't read the passage, but I give you guys the extended version of my sermons at the 12 o'clock. <laughs> None of the other services I said this, but, but Jacob actually tricks Esau. Somebody's like, we don't want the extended version. We want to celebrate Father's Day with our dad <laughs> get out of here as fast as possible, but I think this will bless your life. So, so Jacob tricks Esau into selling him his birthright. That is the inheritance. He does that by offering him a bowl of soup. And then later on in this passage we're going to read right here, he's about to trick his father into getting the blessing. Now you would say, well, didn't he already get that from Esau when he got the birthright? But there's a difference between the birthright and the blessing. And I preached about it two weeks ago, so I'm just doing this to recap. The birthright is the resource. But what created the birthright was the blessing. The only reason why Isaac has something to hand down is because God blessed him. And so Jacob said, I don't want the resource, I want the source. I want where the blessing came from. I want where all of this came from. I want that from my father. So he goes to his father to try and get that. And uh, Rebecca was really the mastermind behind it. She says, go to your dad, get his blessing. And this is where we enter into the story. And the reason why we're able to trick the dad, by the way, is because Isaac has lost his sight. He's blind right now. Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man and I got smooth skin. What if my father touches my arms or my neck? It would appear like I'm tricking him and I would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. Typical human beings, we're not ashamed of doing it. We're ashamed of getting caught in the act. Her older son, which she had in the house and put them on her younger son, man who's being dressed by his mama. Wow. At some point, situation in their life, can't do it. Just can't do it. Stop dressing him up. Verse 16, she also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. Verse 18, he went to his father and said, till dad is me, your son. But Isaac was not deaf. So he's like, I can't see you, but you don't sound like Esau. So he said, who is it? Someone say, who is it? Verse 19, Jacob, remember that because that's going to come back later. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Now you may give me your blessing. And he gets it. He gets the blessing. He tricked him, but he got the blessing. And Jacob is absolutely blessed throughout the entirety of his life. He's blessed in his relationships. Remember, this is Old Testament, not New Testament, so he's got two wives. Don't get two wives now. That's a curse, not a blessing. All right? But they're, they're great. He's got 12 kids, 12 boys, not including the girls, 12 boys. So he's blessed in that because his legacy is going to continue. He's blessed in his finances. All of his herds are multiplying. He's blessed in his real estate. He literally gets a country named after him, Israel. This man is blessed. He's blessed in his health. He lives to the age of 147, very old age. He is blessed beyond belief. But I cannot help but wonder if while he is experiencing the fullness of his blessing, he wrestles with the thought. He wrestles with the idea, at least if I was him, I would, that the only reason I'm successful is because I convinced a person that I was someone I'm not. I want to speak to you today on the topic of breaking the imposter syndrome. Breaking the imposter syndrome. If you've never heard of this term before, you will hear of it today and you will leave knowing that you have it. 
and hopefully the Holy Spirit cured you of it. Um, but uh, imposter syndrome is the persistent inability to believe that one's success is deserved or believing that you are not as competent as others perceive you to be. The experience of feeling like a phony as though at any moment you're going to be found out. I wonder if anyone here at church today would have the vulnerability to say, you know what, I feel like one day I'm going to be found out. I feel like one day everybody's going to see that I'm fake. I feel like they're going to see for who I really am. And there isn't going to be enough hair gel on the planet. <laughs> there isn't going to be uh, uh, enough makeup. The, the, the eyelashes will not be long enough to cover up who I really am. One day someone will see me and they will know that I am not who they think I am. If you don't feel like that, I'll be the first to say I do. Yeah. Often, especially in this profession. Do you know how absurd it is to be a preacher? It's absurd. We have a human being talking to other people about who God is. The infinite God who has never been born, has never died. He lives forever. At most, we live 100 years, and we're trying to explain to you who God is. The Bible says that faith comes through hearing the word of God. I wish you could preach one sermon so that you could see how much faith it takes to preach the word of God. You need to know that sometimes when I'm preaching to you, I'm preaching to myself. That's why I shout myself down if you don't like the message. That's why I say amen to myself. I'll start preaching. You'll be quiet. I'll be like, amen, that's good preaching. Because I need it for me. I need it for me. But there are times, if I'm completely honest, when in the middle of my sermon, when I'm, when I'm saying something that I believe with like 88% of me, that I'm looking at you and, I, and the enemy will come and I'll start to hear it. I'll go, this is the moment, JJ. This is the moment when everybody sees you for who you really are. This is the moment when everyone notices that you're not as funny as they think you are, that you're not as wise as they think you are, that you don't have it all together right now. It's about to break down, that this church is not even, you know, you, you don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. This is, they're going to see you for who you really are. Now, that's okay because I get up here and I'll do it anyway <laughs> and I'll fight through it. But if you're not careful, the imposter syndrome can lead you to two places in life. It can either lead you to being in a paralysis or becoming a perfectionist. Now, the paralysis is you getting into a space of social anxiety that isolates you from other people. So you don't really want close friends and you keep others at an arm's distance because you don't want anybody to know who you really are. So the best way to keep the facade is to push people away. Or the other response to the imposter syndrome is to try and be a high achiever, to reach a lot of goals or to make a lot of money or to be successful. Because in that way, in your mind, you think, oh, if I, if I can be that kind of success, then I can live up to the image that everyone else has for me. So I'll tell you how it works in my world, and then I'll show you how it works in your world. In my world, as a preacher, it's one of two things. Either just stop preaching, JJ. I never asked to be a role model. I never asked to be the answer man. I can't believe people are coming to me for answers when I got more questions than I've got answers. That's why I preach a sermon series called I've Got Questions. It just felt more honest. It isn't, you never, and so just close your Bible, shut off your iPad, walk off stage because you don't have it. That's paralysis. However, what gets me more than that is the perfectionist. The perfectionist side. So, so the way that works in my world is I say, okay, well, I'm going to spend 35 hours preparing one message. And I'm not going to spend time with my kids. And I'm not going to spend time with my wife. And I'm not going to go on date night. If she wants to hang out, i got to tell her I'm busy. Because if I don't nail this, they'll see me for who I really am. Does it make sense? 
Let me bring it to your world. Let me bring it to your world. Um, as a parent, we often struggle with imposter syndrome. On Father's Day, I think it's important to note that, like, especially when your kids are little. Do you remember, for those who have kids that are grown up, it's kind of, you're gone now. But when this little, remember how your kids used to look at you? How they saw you, like you were the hero? Like, I've got some letters here from the kids. Like, this one is from Justice. This one says, I love the way you pursue excellence. I know your wisdom will take you and me to greater heights. First off, what 10-year-old talks like that? <laughs> Greater heights. Secondly, he says, oh, he says, you are the best and most wisest dad out there. But really, he's 10. <laughs> and if he were to see some of the choices I made last month, he might not think I was the wisest person. So when he looks at me in the eye, he says, you're the best dad in the whole world. I don't know if you can say amen to this, if you feel it. But a part of you goes, well, if you only knew. <laughs> you feel kind of fake. And so parents, you'll do one of two things. You'll isolate. You'll never cry around him. You'll never worry around her. And you'll do that because you want to keep the image of, of I, don't want, I don't want them to see me for who I really am. But what you don't know is you're proliferating that same kind of fakeness into the next generation, creating a generational curse of phoniness. Because my dad never cried, so I can't cry. That's not what men do. Or... You overwork. You get all the promotions at your job because you want to live up to the quote-unquote legend that he sees you as. And there's one parent in here who's like, that's okay. I don't worry about that because I am not a success in the eyes of my kid. My kid hates me. <laughs> Somebody here is thinking that right now. And what you don't know is that by admitting that, you're already admitting that you've given in to the imposter syndrome. Because you're already admitting that you're not a good parent, which is a lie. Why? Because got you got a roof over their head because you put food in their belly because you came to church today and dropped your kid off at Journey Kids, which means you're doing something right. Don't give in. Sometimes it happens with students who are trying to get A's in class and they'll go to any lengths, cheat, take Adderall to be able to keep that A. I met one student the other day who said, uh, I got a 93 on my test. I thought she said 83. So I said, oh, you got an 83? She said, oh, no. If I got an 83, it'd be the end. God forbid. Someone sees you as less than A, right? Sometimes it happens in a marriage where a spouse or a relationship where someone will look at the other person and go, I love you. And you can't even receive that because a part of you thinks you can't possibly love me because I don't really love me. I know things about me that if you knew, you wouldn't love me. So I don't think you can love me. We block ourselves off from love because of the imposter syndrome. Or maybe you're just a Christian. Man, that can be hard. Sometimes I wonder if there's anyone in the room who like you're the only person who goes to church in your whole family. Then something bad happens and they all call you because you're the Christian. Huh? Every Thanksgiving, they look at you. Can you pray for the food? I'm going to tell them no. <laughs> I pray for a living. I'm a day off today, okay? You <laughs> take, it a, take it a day off. And it's joking. We can laugh about it. But there's this subconscious pressure of you got to be perfect. You got to have it right. When I go through a difficult moment, you got to have all the answers because you know Jesus. So, you know, and it's okay. Like, they don't even mind living their crazy life as long as you go to church. Like, you go to church enough for all of them. Huh? Is it just me? I'm not venting today. I don't know. And, or have you ever been, or, or maybe you lead a team at church. Like, you're a volunteer leader, like a team leader or a coordinator. And you're like, I can't even lead myself. How can I lead other people? And all of a sudden, the enemy will come in and tell you you're an imposter. Or this happens to me a lot in worship. 
while I lift up my hands and I'll start to sing about, go grace above me, grace behind me. And then the enemy will sneak in my ear and go, good thing you're singing about grace. Because boy, do you need it. You need that grace. Are you lifting your hands right now? Yeah. The same hands that were touching. You lifting the hands right. You don't lift those hands. Are you singing the Lord with that mouth? That same mouth that was. Are you, are you looking at the lyrics with those eyes? The same eyes that were looking at the. Are you? And so he'll come and he'll go, you're fake. You're not the real deal. What you are is a fraud. You're a phony. And even at church, I think that's why some of us are so quick to get out. Because <laughs> we don't want anybody to have a long enough conversation with us. To see that we are not our smile. That there's something behind us. That there's a pain. If that's you and you wrestle with the imposter syndrome, let me help you. So do I. And these are the things that God teaches me in his word that have helped me overcome it. Four phrases. You can start writing these down if you're taking notes. Number one, I tell myself, I haven't tricked you. I tricked myself. I haven't tricked you. I tricked myself. You know, what's interesting to me is that before Jacob made the bowl of soup to steal the birthright, and before he put on the goat skin to steal the blessing, while he was still in the womb of his mother, Rebecca, this is what the Lord said to Rebecca in chapter 25, verse 23 of Genesis. The Lord said to Rebecca, there are two nations in your womb and two peoples from within you that will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. How about that? Jacob thought that he was where he was because he could make good soup. Jacob thought he was where he was because he knows how to put a good Halloween costume on. But it turns out, according to the scripture, the <laughs> the reason why you feel the pressure of being fake is because you've actually believed. We used to have the saying back in New York, said, don't play yourself. Yeah. Don't play yourself. I said, don't trick yourself. Don't think for one reason that you are where you are because of who you are or because of what you did. You are where you are because of the grace of God on your life. <laughs> Be careful when you take your kids to Journey Kids because they're going to come out there learning the Bible. And you got to be careful when your kids learn the Bible. Because the moment your kids learn the Bible, they will use the Bible against you. And then you start saying stuff and doing stuff, and they know it's not Bible. And they'll be like, Dad, Mom. And you'll be like, don't you preach to me. Like, you used to have this thing that I would say with my kids whenever I wanted them to do something. I would say, don't, don't you remember? Remember, remember, I made you. So I'll be like, all right, time to go to bed. And they'll be like, oh, I don't want to go to bed. I'm like, ah, ah, ah. I made you. Do what I say. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out of this world. I made you. We're going to go here after church. We're going to go eat. I want to go home and play video games. Ah, ah, who made you? I made you. So the other day I told Justice something that he didn't like, and so I went to my go-to. I said, ah, ah, who made you? I made you. He said, you know, Dad, I've been thinking about that. <laughs> so I was in Journey Kids. So I just got to tell you, Dad, you didn't make me. I said, what has your mother been telling you? I mean, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> she said, he said, you didn't make me. I said, well, who made you? He said, God made me. Got him. I don't know what to say. I was like, wait. 
yeah, but go clean your room. You know, I don't know what to tell him. And I was like, yeah, but God couldn't have done it without me. I was a part of the process. I did my piece here. If you're a kid and you don't know where babies come from, talk to your dad about this. It's a great Father's Day. That's why we have journey kids, y'all. But, but it really is an amazing, like, theological conundrum. You want to break your brain for a second? Who made you? Your parents or your God? Who made you? And I think I found the answer. I think I found the perfect balance of both of those truths and both of those realities. And that is the following. I might have done something to do this, but I haven't done anything to deserve this. I, I did something to make justice. I, I'll let you explain it to your kids after church so you can explain what was done. And I'm, I'm really grateful that I had a part in it. I enjoyed my part. But, but, I can't look at justice and say I made justice. Do you know why? Because I could think of five families in this church right now who did what I did with their spouses that are still waiting for their child. Huh? And I can't look at my kids and be like, it's because I'm going to do something to do it. But I didn't do anything to deserve it. I don't have what I have because of who I am. I have what I have because of who God is. Somebody got the promotion at your job, and you think, well, it's because I work hard. Please. Ten other people work just as hard as you do. You got the promotion because God has favor on your life. Yeah, if you didn't show up early. Yeah, if you didn't pass your quota, you wouldn't have even been a candidate. But 10 other people passed their quota as well. You had a light shining on your life. You didn't deserve it, but you got it. Somebody got in, the, in, a, in a school and you got the scholarship and you're like, well, you know, I deserved it with my GPA. Please. Well, I got a 4.0. Everybody had a 4.0. They don't go higher than 4.0. You start applying for scholarships, you don't get to get a 4.1. But something shunned on your application. You might have done something to do it, but you didn't do something to deserve it. And when you believe that, it frees you. Why? Because if you think you did something to earn it, then you have to keep up the facade. But if you know you did nothing to deserve it, then all you have to do is keep the faith. If I know that I didn't get myself here, that I don't have to pretend to be something I'm not, because what got me here was not me at all, but the Lord who brought me here. Let me say it in a way that's easier to remember, okay? I'm not great. God's got grace. It's his grace that took me here. I'm going to tell you, it's counterintuitive, but if you want to break the imposter syndrome, you got to tell yourself that. I'm not that. I'm not that. Someone sent me an email and said, Pastor JJ, that sermon, by the way, whoever sent it, thank you very much. It was very nice. But they said, because I get other emails that are not so nice. So... Pastor Jay said that message you preached on tithing, they said, was the best message ever preached in the history of humanity. I said, I'm not that. I don't want that pressure. Because I know it wasn't me. John chapter 1, verse 19. John the Baptist is giving his testimony about who Jesus is. John the Baptist was a minister preaching about Jesus. He was Jesus' cousin. Um, but now this was John's testimony. Someone say testimony. When the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was, he did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Messiah. Whoo! 
I'm sorry. That just freed me so up. You want to be free? Yeah. Say these words. I'm not Jesus. <laughs> My God, did you feel the deliverance? I serve Jesus. I love Jesus. I follow Jesus, but I'm not Jesus. That's for every person who's thinking about breaking up with that other person who doesn't go to church, but you're afraid that if you break up with them, then their opportunity to meet Jesus is going to go down with your breakup. You're not Jesus. You can't save that person. I'm doing everything in my power just to make sure I'm good. I'm not Jesus. They asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, no, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He said, no, I'm not. Finally, they said, well, who are you? We got people we need to talk to. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah prophet, I am the voice of the one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. Somebody say, for the Lord. For the Lord. I love John's testimony because this is like the craziest testimony you've ever heard in your life. Because when most people give testimonies, they give testimonies about who they are. John's testimony is about who he's not. See, if you tell everybody you are, then you get all the attention. But if you confess to people that you're not, then everything you're not becomes an arrow that points to everything Jesus is. Let me, let me make it, let me make it more, more reasonable to you. I am, I am not, like, when I get in the lobby, two things people always tell me, hey, message, message me. The other thing, they'll be like, I like your outfit. I get that a lot. I get a lot of compliments on my fashion uh, choices. But what you don't know is that I am 35 years old and I do not pick out my clothes on Sunday. I do not pick out my clothes on Sunday. I'm a grown man and I pick out my clothes Monday through Saturday unless I'm going to be where people are. In that case, my wife Les picks out my clothes for me because she's so much better at it than I am. I, I have zero fashion. When I go out on the road to preach at churches, she takes pictures of the outfits, <laughs> texts it to me, and then in the caption says, Monday. <laughs> then the next one, it says, I need instructions. I don't even have enough ability to put it together when it's in the suitcase. I need instructions. This is following me my whole life. This is me, younger me, throwback me. Uh, that's me right there. With the, you did not have to laugh that hard, whoever that was. What is this belt doing right here? These jeans are big and the leather jacket. Who am I looking at? I don't know. Next one. Sean John, yo, Sean John. Yeah, and I got some Sean John jeans. The shoes are still in style, but this was not a vibe. Come on, she's just as beautiful today. That's my mama. It's my mama, like just as young. The next one is the one I'm the most embarrassed about. This is me when I had my blowout haircut right here. That's me right there. I think I got Jenko jeans. We got Charlie in the back. Listen, I had zero fashion sense. But, and I, I still don't. But when people come up to me and they compliment me, you know what I tell them? I go, oh, it's not me. This Pastor Liz. Hear me, I'm going to preach it now. Not only do I depend on her to be what I'm not, my weakness has also become an opportunity to give her praise. Are you with me? So, so when you go to work and you come into work smiling 
And everybody looks at you and goes, oh my gosh, why are you so happy? And how come you have so much joy? You're like the most optimistic person I know in the world. You'd be like, no, not really. I'm actually super duper negative and I'm pessimistic and I have a really bad attitude. Well, why are you smiling? It's not me. It's the joy of the Lord that lives in my soul. He died on a cross for me 2,000 years ago and I get excited about it. It's all him. It's not me. It's not me. It's not me. When you go through a trial in your life and you seem to everybody calm and collected and people go, oh my gosh, you're so calm and you're so in control. You go, no, that's not me. I promise you, I'm a control freak and I wear a helmet when I go outside. But if I feel like I'm in control, it's because I know who's in control. I know that God's in control. It's not me, it's him. It's not me, it's him. Listen, write it down. That is not your weakness. That's your testimony. It's the thing God gave you, or I should say, it's the thing God didn't give you. Wow, that's good. Come on, Jay. So that he could fill that gap. Amen. So that you could point to, and listen, and if you got something, he is. Everything he is. Love it. And listen, and if you got some, some evidence following you for a while, if you've been making some bad decisions and making some bad choices and you go, well, you know, the evidence is piled up against me. I'm definitely, you know, I, I'm not that and I'm this bad person and I know that I'm that. Okay, here, here's what you need to tell the enemy when he begins to bring these lies to you. Tell him, here's my third phrase. I'm not trying, I'm training. I'm not trying, I'm training. Why are you trying to be someone you're not? Why are you trying to be someone you're not? Why are you trying to be someone you're not? That's what the devil tells you. Why are you trying to be someone you're not? That's why your friends in the world tell you when you start to come to church. Why are you trying to be someone you're not? Why are you trying to be someone you're not? You know who you are. We know who you really are. We knew you back in the day. That's when your cousins that you haven't seen in years. Why are you always holding you reading your Bible? Why are you trying to be someone you're not? Here's what you tell them. And you can put it on the screen. Tell them, I'm not trying to be someone I'm not. I'm trying, I'm training to be someone I'm not yet. I'm not trying, I'm in training. Sometimes when we fail in life, the enemy will use the failure as evidence that we are that. But when a baby falls as she's walking, she has not failed. You don't look at the baby and be like, failure. You're never going to grow up to be anything in this life. I know you can't understand me, but boo. She's not a failure. Why? Catch it. Because falling and failing are two different things. I can fall, but if I learn something in that fall, I'm not trying. I'm training. I love Pastor Liz. She's at the gym right now. And when she first went a year ago, because her Facebook did the whole memory thing, she was doing the hex bar deadlift, you know, which is that thing that you lift like this and you hold it up and then you lock it out. And it's 55 pounds, that bar. And I remember when she did it, like, for the first time, just trying it out, she, like, pulled something in her lower back. She's like, I can't do that exercise. But it's a really good exercise. I said, babe... Keep, keep trying, keep trying. Come back next week. Lift up the five pounds, lift up the 10 pounds. She went from 55 pounds, this is what she did last week, to 185 pounds on the hex bar deadlift. But you know how she got there? Training. And just for all of us who want to try to be better, for all of us who want to try to break the addiction, for all of us who want to try and get the better in our career, there's a difference between trying and training. And the difference is she had a plan. Yeah. Trying is based on wishes. Training is based on work. Trying is based on promise. She's going to work. Then you get better. I'm trying to tell you, don't try to get out of debt. Train to get out of debt. Well, Pastor JJ, how do I train to get out of debt? Stop drinking at Starbucks. But don't you give out $5 Starbucks gift cards? (laughs) Yeah, and we gave you the money. Don't try. Train. I'm trying to have a better marriage. Stop trying. You never will if you're trying. 
Start training to have a better marriage. Read the Bible together. Pray for each other. Go to that marriage conference you've been wanting to go to. Get that marriage book. Read it together. Listen to that sermon on relationships together. Start doing the chores around the house. You don't try, you train. I want to be a man of God. I want to be that minister that I know that the Lord put in my heart to be that prophet, that pastor, that worship leader. But you're not going to be that overnight. Don't try to be that person. Train to be that person. Read your Bible a day verse. Start fasting more often. Pray in the morning. Begin to tithe. Get in a small group. Come to church every Sunday. You're not trying. You're training. And if you fall, that's okay. Just tell yourself while you're on the floor, the last statement, this helps me so much. I'm done pretending. I'm done pretending. Genesis 32, 26 to 27, Jacob is wrestling God. There's a lot behind this, the Lord, until the end. And every time you see the word, the man, it's really the Lord. So then the man, a.k.a. the Lord, said to Jacob while he's wrestling with him, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. Look at the next verse. What is your name? Now pause, time out, time out. Where have we heard this before? Were you here at the beginning of the message? Help me. Where have we heard this before? From his dad. Remember? Let's flash back in case you walked in at the beginning. I'm just going to believe that. Verse 18. Isaac, when he says, hey, dad, I'm here. Isaac goes, who is it? What's your name? But then he thought he had to be someone to, to get love. So he said, look at verse 19. Jacob said, I am Esau, your firstborn. Now, keep it on here, he has a second chance at redemption. Now he has a second chance to answer that question correctly. And the only thing that's the difference between this one and this one is 20 years. 20 years of pretending. 20 years of acting. 20 years of trying to be someone you're not. 20 years of a mask, 20 years of I'm strong and I'm tough and I'm Esau and 20 years and he's tired. So he finally decides to be honest about his struggle and confess. And this is God's, so he confesses. Here's the confession, the real authentic confession. He goes, you know what? It's Jacob. This time he answers correctly. It's Je I'm tired of trying to be Esau, can't do it. It's Jacob. I am who I am. And look how the Lord responds to his confession. The Lord blessed him. I'm deceiver. I'm insecure. I'm lonely. I'm afraid. I don't know that I can lead my family as a dad, as a father. I'm afraid I'm going to pass some things down to my kid. And the Lord goes, good. Now that I got you there, blessing. So Jacob called the place Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping. I like this part. Limping. Everybody limp with me. I'm just kidding. You're like, how do I? I'm sitting. <laughs> but say limping. Say limping on three. One, two, three. Limping. Yeah, it's important. Limping because of his hip. Verse 32, therefore to this day the Israelites don't eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touching the tendon. They still do this. They still don't do this, I should say. All right, one more verse, and then I'm going to put the limping together with Jacob's story. This is in the same chapter, just a little earlier, right before he goes to wrestle God. Jacob is praying to the Lord, and he says, I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown your servant. He's preaching the message. I'm not great. God's got grace. I'm not that. 
I tricked myself. It wasn't because of me. It's because of you. He's, he, he's working through his imposter syndrome right now. He goes, in fact, when I came here, I only had my staff when I crossed the Jordan. The staff, the staff, the staff. I'm a kid in my heart, so I just want to hear something. You know, I just... The staff. Now, the staff is very significant because the staff in the Bible is a metaphor for authority, power, riches. You know, like it was used for fighting wolves, but it was also used for like yoking a sheep if you got out of line, making sure that he was in the right way. Now, now authority, power, Jacob said this was all he had when he crossed the Jordan the first time. Don't miss the irony. He has a shepherd's staff, but what? If this is all he has, that means he got no what? So he got a shepherd's staff, but no sheep. He has a sign of authority, but no, no people to lead. He's got a sign of power, but he got no kids yet. He's not even married. Are you catching it? When he came the first time over the Jordan, he was pretending to be someone he's not. I'm, I'm Jacob. I'm going to, I mean Esau. I mean Jacob. I mean Esau. I'm important. So he's got that staff. Now he's got that same staff, but this time he's what? Huh? He's limping, which it hit me so hard as I thought that. For the first time in Jacob's life, he can no longer pretend to have it all together. Because you can't hide a limp. You can't put on so much cologne that your cologne covers the limp. You can't dress so well, I don't even care if Pastor Liz is dressing you. You can't dress so well to disguise your limp. You can't because you're broken. But so before he had nothing, I guarantee you that when he came back across the giraffe, changed, not sad. Because the staff changed meaning for him. Because if he was limping, then all of a sudden, this isn't what I use to keep the sheep in line anymore. The staff turned into a cane. The symbol of importance became a symbol of dependence. I can't do this without God. And this was the shift. This is the shift for you. This is my last sentence right here. You want to break the imposter syndrome? You got to get broken. As you get broken, God breaks it. Why? Because it's not I can do this. It's I can't do this without God. Are you ready? If you think you can do it, you're not there yet. (laughs) I used to think that I could juggle my pornography addiction and my marriage and ministry at the same time until my world came crashing down. God blew up my spot. My whole world began to unravel. God had to, he touched my hip. He had to get me to the place where I can say, I can't do this. I used to be like, I can do this. I'm disciplined enough to have a double life. I can make it happen. I can smile hard enough. I can preach strong enough. I can lead well enough. God was like, oh, yeah? I've changed. I, I used to think I can pastor. Now I know I can't. Unless he's with me. And, and if you're like, man, pastor being real vulnerable and honest, why would he do that? Why would he limp in front of me? Because... My weakness points to his strength. You got to understand about limping. By the way, if you're judging me for limping, we'll all limp at some point. If you're not limping yet, you haven't lived long enough. 
at some point in life, something will come and take out your hip and you will limp. But don't be mad and don't be sad if you see someone limping. I look at somebody with a can, I go, go ahead. Because this is what that meant. Here's what that meant. That something happened in their life that could have stopped them. But they did not allow it. And instead of staying where they were, instead of staying stuck in their trauma, instead of staying stuck in their pain, instead of staying stuck in their insecurity, they started to lean on God and said, He is my strength, and He is my joy, and He is my rock, and He is my purity, and He is my power, and He is my strength. Don't be sad. This almost killed me. But when God came and rescued me, He became my dependence. This isn't my weakness. This is my testimony. Look at what happens when I put my when I put my weight on Jesus. Look at what happens when I put my sin on Jesus, my pain on Jesus, my hurt on Jesus, my life on Jesus, my addiction on Jesus, my anxiety on Jesus, my depression on Jesus, my suicidal thoughts on Jesus, the impressions on Jesus. He keeps me up. He keeps me up. He keeps me up. Would you stand on your feet all over this room? He keeps me up. It's time to stop holding your staff like a staff and let the Lord be the cane he was created to be. Yeah, he was created, that he wants to be for you. Put your weight on him. Put your weight on him today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, let me, every, every head bowed, every eye closed. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're far from God, I want you to know who he is, son of God, who lived the perfect life that you couldn't live. You can't do it. Listen, if you feel like a sinner today and you're a bad person, so do I. That's not the devil. That's the truth. But Jesus came and said, that's okay because I can be what you can't. So lean on me. Let me be what you can't be. And then I got another prayer, but I want to pray this prayer first. You're in the room and you need to lean on Jesus because you've been trying to do it your own. Every head but every eye closed. You're ready to come back home to Jesus. Come on, he lived the perfect life that you can't live. When I say three, if that's you, I want you to raise your right hand high to the sky as a signal and a sign, Jesus, I need you in my life all over this building if that's you. Don't you hesitate for one second. This is your time to get that cane and put your weight on him. On three, if you're ready, one, two, all over this building. One, two, three, right now. Shoot that right hand high. Shoot that right hand high. Come on, all over the building. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Put your hand down. Let me pray for you. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Whether you raise your hand or not, let's encourage. Let's be a cane for all those around us. Worship team, let's pray. Father God, I'm done pretending. Today, I put my challenge, I put my stress, I put my pain on you. Forgive me for my sin. I repent and I turn to you. Jesus, you are my rock. I love you. Take my life. Amen and amen. Come on, give it up for all those. We hope you've enjoyed this message, and we would love to hear your story and how this ministry is changing your life. Please email us at amen at journeyorl.com. And if you would like to support financially, you can give online at journeyorl.com give. If you're in the area, join us on Sunday for the full experience. Have a blessed week.